You're listening to a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. We are the Elsers. Hello and welcome to Elsner's A Production of Galactic Network. I'm Gregor Sprague and joining me is Corey Scott. And for all info on this show, including show notes, subscription links, and more, go to elsners.com. And for other Galactic Network programs, go to gncasts.com. On Elsner's, we tend to shoot our mouths off without thinking, so we will both spoil things and swear liberally. You have been warned. Yep, right, like doing, a sir? functioning American government, we're not for everybody. <laughs> Oh, great. I'm going to have to start warning you that, that I'm going to do these things at the end of the intro because yeah. it, it, it'll it help if you if you don't talk over it and, and make me feel like maybe I'm a little funny. I don't know. Yeah. See, because I didn't think I talked over you. I thought I was right after, but no, I don't know. You were trying to go on and I'm just like, no, I'm just going to cut yeah. you off as I do. Yeah. As as one does. So, Corey, how's, how are things going? Going all right. Uh, yeah. It's it's been a weird week. I woke up to tsunami warning this morning. Uh, yeah, but 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 a falsy. It, it was a falsy. It, it it's it's like someone stuffed our our, our fault with uh, did, did, with did they, later, did they later claim sorry? Uh, the our testings hit the wrong button thing. Wrong like, button. Uh, like, no, like it, the it was, there was a there was a nice big earthquake off of Alaska. Yeah. And so there was there was reason to actually be concerned, but it was just like I woke up because like I don't feel a seven point eight when it's in California. I sure as hell ain't gonna feel it when it when it's up north. No, it, it made sense. It was just kind of like I don't know what I'm looking at right now. What do I do? But no, uh, yeah. So I heard about that, and I, I figured let's do that horrible joke. But you um, have shit falling from the fucking outer space on your state. So how are you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. That was nowhere near me. Like it was, yeah. it was at your old neck of the woods. But like I heard that, and I'm like, oh, cool, because it was actually in the comic book store last week where I picked up Batman and Nightwing and Superman. Or wait, did I pick up Superman? Yeah, Superman and a you few know, people other... who could have actually helped with a meteor falling from the fucking sky. <laughs> yeah. Um. But no, there was three other. Or there was these two guys who came in. Like, yeah, did you hear about this? I'm like, huh? what happened like I, I literally think i was because sometimes i'm so dense or just dense might not be the right word just so not with the local news sometimes that the meteor shower could have landed in my backyard and i'd have been like okay so they're digging a hole why are there news trucks around this hole that my neighbor is digging oh it's a space rock <laughs> why did i know that i could have took a space rock yeah, I, man, never do shit when I'm asleep. But um, why? That's a statement in and of itself. I I saw a bunch of people posting from back home, like, oh, you know, was that an earthquake? What's going on? And I thought it was. At first, I thought it was just people were commenting, like I do about my wife's farts. And uh, no, it turned out that there was actually more to it, which is, you know, some of my wife's farts. You just got to be careful. You know, sometimes you gamble and lose. So, uh, yeah, it was it was really weird. But then I see that, of course, the first people are out there just fucking trenching, trying to get those pieces of it and and sell that stuff like crazy. Just, hey, I got your meteor rock right here. Uh, <laughs> that was really That's fast. It was hurt. really fast. 
Yeah, and, and and how many people are just picking up fucking pieces of, of blue ice or whatever that comes down from the airplane urinals? <laughs> yeah, so... But yeah, so real quick, besides that, because what I did pay attention to today was a meth-headed shoplifter run past me when I'm in the back room today at work. Well, I mean, I'm surprised uh, you could even see them. I figure meth-heads move at the speed of the flash. <laughs> no. So... So today I had to work um, doing the opening shift and all that stuff. And I was fixing, I was finishing taking care of the truck from yesterday in the electronics department. And I'm sitting back there and the mobile guy's coming in and I, like, I, it was about that time. So I'm like, okay, I, I was getting, getting his stuff so I can be like, here's your, here's your stuff. You know, here's your new signage and all that stuff. And this guy goes, walks past me. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, wait, who are you? You don't like, I'm like, okay, it's a vendor. And I'm like, wait a minute. He's got stuff in his coat. That hat does not look like anyone that any of the vendors that I've seen's hats. And so, like, I see him going up to to the our receiving door, and I'm like, and I go up there, I'm like, can I help you? And I'm almost close enough to where if I ran, I probably could have tackled him and then gotten discipline or whatever. But then he then hits that door. It doesn't open, so he goes to the fire exit door, and I'm like, fuck. And I'm like, we just had a run to our. We had one of our. Uh, higher ups who was in the back and i'm like we just had a runner and so she's trying to get our ap guy back here and he's like wait what and, because she's right there by the door so you just hear over the thing can you help <laughs> like sort of deal and i'm like so i'm sitting there going like okay he heard her no he didn't i'm like walking back and forth if you watch the tape it's like which way did he go george which way did he go turns out he uh had a getaway driver they left and they go to a, it's sort of like a pawn shop, but it's it's only in video games stuff called Disc Traders in I was around here. Say, EB Games. Well, it's 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 a lot like EB Games, but it's yeah. it's I think it's only in the in Michigan, like in like the southern Michigan, like Lansing Jackson area. And they tried to sell the stuff, possibly to my friend who was going to work at work with me at Target. And I guess the police came and I guess he had a couple of, um, he had visited Walter White a little bit or for a little, a little while because he had some, uh, some methamphetamines on him and in his car and they were telling me, can't wait for the cavity search. Yeah. They, they told me, uh, that he, what had happened and I'm like, please tell me because he took, he ripped the pegs off of the board and all that. Like he did, he hit. Uh, he tore off five pegs, and I'm like, "Please tell me they caught him because he brought in the whole thing. He didn't like cut the, cut the stuff off. Like he's actually like, I like to sell these. How'd you get them? I bought them. <laughs> like I'm like, I'll laugh so hard. Like you'll hear me throughout the whole store if you come back he, with this. Like now, in, in the mess of stuff he's trying to resell, he literally has a Target employee in with the package. <laughs> like grab the guys he was trying to hand it off to a customer. <laughs> But yeah, so that was my day. And oh, also another little side thing that uplifted my spirits before they told me that they caught the bastard. Some another person, maybe same person, I don't know. We have the decals for your car for Stranger Things ones. They took the front thing that shows you what the decal is, didn't take the decal. <laughs> <laughs> For the audio it, listeners, Corey just had to take a minute <laughs> and process that. <laughs> if, if thieves were 
were really, really skilled at things, they would probably have jobs. I mean, True. I, I, I got, I understand the economy's tough and everything. I a two dollar sticker. Well, yeah. So shortly after I moved to California, uh, we had a uh, a a signing with uh, Brett Anderson, who is the artist from Astro City. Uh, yeah. He also was the artist on the X-Men comic God Loves, Man Kills, uh, which is what the basis of uh, X-Men 2 was about. Uh, Brent's a really great guy. I I've been friends with Brent since about the time of that signing. Uh, now, 20 years, I guess. And so I had my car parked in the garage at the, the shopping mall by us uh, because there's just no parking downtown Santa Rosa. I worked that day. I took Brent and his wife and son uh, out to dinner afterwards, go through the whole day, come back to get in my car later on. Someone had broken my window and like stole stuff from my car. Now, my car, first of all, was a Michigan car. So yeah. the trunk was rusted to the point where you could just reach your hand into it and, <laughs> and flip the latch if you needed to. My car door, you could unlock with a thumbnail. The lock was just that rancid. Yeah. And um, in my car, on my passenger seat, was a bunch of comic books, some of which I had just gotten signed by Brent. It, it was a good run of stuff, and all those were still there. What they stole was the air pressure gauge that I had and the knobs off of my stereo, which was not a nice stereo. Like they, I guess, tried to do something to get it out and they just couldn't figure it out fast enough. So literally about $2.37 worth of, of stuff. And my the damage to my window was $80 to get repaired. But yeah, for that, for everything else that, that they could have grabbed out of my car. So for the audio listeners, there is a moment in there where I have the dumb look as right. well. <laughs> watch watch because, the video sometime. You see a lot of dumb looks in this show. Yeah. Starting from hello and welcome to this has been a Don't Tell Glenn production, just full of dumb looks. And and, oh. and if Beatmaster Evie showed up on screen, he would just look dumb because he's like, Why the fuck am I here? <laughs> but yeah, so anyways, we should probably get we should probably get into the news. The first bit of news is that the TV show now I should preface this because uh, there was a movie back in 2014 called What We Do in the Shadows. Um, it was a mockumentary created by Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi. We know Jermaine from being on this the uh, Legion and Flight of the Concords and a bunch of other things. But we most notably now know Taika Waititi from directing Thor Ragnarok. Well, they've been working on a bunch of things with this project, with this thing, like everything coming out of it. You, there's uh they're working on four new zealand tv a spin-off tv series called wellington paranormal which focuses on some of the characters from the original film and it should be coming sometime mid 2018 they're working on a what we do in the shadows sequel called we're wolves which focuses on the werewolf characters from the first film they're just basically it's just they're needing time to get together to write it but the thing that made it important to enough to me where i'm like okay we want to talk about this is the What We Do in the Shadows American version is becoming a TV series, possibly at FX. Um, FX has ordered a pilot from the creators. Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement will executive produce alongside Scott Rudin. You know him from The Night Of and The Newsroom. And Paul Sims from Flight of the Concords in Atlanta. And Scott Rudin Productions, uh, Garrett Bosch and Eli Bush. Now, have you seen What We Do in the Shadows? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So... 
I mean, we could probably gush over over the movie on here, and we probably will. But I feel like we we may have actually reviewed it, or maybe you reviewed it, and then I decided to go watch it later on. Yeah, the TV series will reboot with the same concept with a new cast. Now, some of these guys I don't know, but uh, Kevin Novak from Danger Mouse, Matt Berry from the IT Crowd and Toast of London, and then uh, Natasia Dimitriou from Your Friends and Harvey Guillen from The Internship. I don't know who any of those people are. So most of those um, shows. Like I assume it's not the original Danger Mouse. I assume it's the uh, the remake. I, did I believe so. Danger yeah. Mouse a couple years ago. And Unless it's Matt, the DJ. Unless okay, the, um, we've just found who the DJ Danger Mouse is. <laughs> Possibly. So um, with the Matt Berry side, because that's where I'm like, ooh, because I saw that name boldened on Slash Film. So I'm going to take it. You've never seen the IT crowd. Never seen Toast of London. I've seen maybe two episodes of the IT crowd. So he came in in the second season. He plays Denim's son in there. So he's he's the boss from season two on. Okay. Um, but he was also in the Mighty Boosh, where he played the uh, the villain in there. British actor, very funny guy. That I you would want to have in, in yeah. a comedy. Yeah. Like one of those guys that I don't think I've seen him do a bad thing. And he's done some some weird shit. Like he voiced he, on BBC on their iPlayer. I don't think they played it on TV. It was just in their you know, on their uh, website, they had Matt Berry doing voiceover, doing like narrate, like David Attenborough on two different animal things for the, like for different holidays. Just really dumb on one hand, but also really fucking funny at the same time. Like I'm watching this and I'm like, the fuck am I watching? And then I'm, I find myself laughing. I'm like, why am I laughing? Oh, because it's funny. Oh, I, I just figured I'm they must have made pot legal in Michigan finally. <laughs> that that entire description just sounded like everybody in california for the last three months uh yeah, yeah. now so here, here's another thing the director creator of what we do in shadows say his name because i'm not gonna uh taika waititi yes works you know obviously did thor mm-hmm. at disney did thor 3 uh the the, the recent one the, the the good one commonly is what we we professionals call it um <laughs> fx part of the disney acquisition correct if yes. it goes through yes if it goes through but even then i mean so someone who has a working relationship with disney already is making a pitch to get their show on the channel that is possibly going to be acquired by disney in i look at it time. i look at it more this way you have a network that doesn't know necessarily know what whether they're going to get bought or not right that has a relationship with this other guy with jermaine clement because he's been in legion I, and i think he's done some other things on the fox in the fox family so he i think it's in more, other FX shows, definitely yeah and know him because i mean i'm pretty sure if you work at, Fo- at fox or fx or whatever that you're not locked into only ever watching Fox stuff now. I don't think Rupert Murdoch is that big of a dick. I, no, I think he's he's a much much bigger dick than that, yeah. but just in like different dickish ways. Yeah. So I mean, I think it's one of these things that like these probably these people have heard or watched the movie What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, they're they're and, definitely hungry for content. And I mean, didn't they just? No, or is that FXX that just lost Louis C.K. It doesn't matter. It was, uh, I think, it was FX, but still, it doesn't matter. They're it's the same he- side of a coin, right? No well, I'm just saying that they've got holes to fill, 
uh, in that regard. The Always Sunny team, it's kind of up in the air how things are going to work out if uh, Glenn Howerton doesn't return because of his new NBC show, which they're making a bigger deal out of than they did about the Mick over at Fox. Yeah. Uh, and how that's all going to work out. Maybe because they expect it to be more successful. I don't know. They've probably never seen anything on NBC. I know nobody else <laughs> has, but I don't doubt that the content was both wanted and needed. That kind of casual timing thing of, hey, we just had this guy blow out fucking everything with this this new Thor movie in ways that we were not legitimately expecting a Thor movie to do at this point. And uh, wouldn't it be cool if we said, hey, you know, why don't you bring some properties over to this this thing that we're hopefully going to be getting together with soon? And, you know, like, let's keep it all in the family. I look at this a little bit differently. Also reminds though. me of Michigan. Yeah. Go ahead. I look at this a little bit differently, though. Not necessarily filling in the on the comedy side, but the, we're, we're forgetting the other part here. What we do in the shadows is a horror movie. Has, has it been done on pot? No. Dibs. I call them now. <laughs> Gregor brings us another thing that he somehow qualifies as a horror movie. Mm. Well, <laughs> but it, it is a bit of a horror movie. I mean, you know, it's dealing with vampires, dealing with the paranormal and stuff like that. Much in the way that Saturday the 14th was a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so I look at it in this way. This is possibly them filling in the the hole left by the strain. I don't another think it's that. Otherwise, it becomes more like MTV's Teen Wolf, which is another bastardization that I don't really want to talk about. True. By yeah, the way, so Gregor, I mean, just before you claim it, Teen Wolf, not a fucking horror movie. No, no, no. I was going to go what we do in the shadows because, I mean, that's a I fucking crazy movie. Either. Not saying that Teen Wolf isn't, but I mean, I will. it's more of the... I'll say it. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> the, the only reason Teen Wolf does not look like the worst piece of shit in the world is because Teen Wolf 2 happened. And just like God, God love Jason Bateman, but that movie did him no favors. Ultimately, there's not a lot here with this. You can tell it's, because we talked about it so briefly. There will be more to come. I can't wait. I hope, at the very least, this goes to series for one season at least. You know, I do I, love I that there's as many spinoffs coming out of this movie from about three years ago as there are oh, yeah. Game of Thrones spinoffs potentially happening. True. True. I mean, I th I think that gives that proves that you don't need a massive franchise to make a franchise out of something. You know, Game of Thrones. Like George R. R. Martin says, he's got like all this stuff, and you know, he's worked with people on expanding the lore, and so it's like we've got like what seven spinoffs coming out from HBO because oh my god, we're almost done with it, with Game of Thrones. We need some more stuff to fill in this gap here with the people. Come on, come on, make you know, make stuff, make stuff, make stuff. Like you know, because they, they're worried that they're going to lose something here, and yet. This is a mockumentary that I heard about through YouTube. I heard about through the YouTube network SourceFed when they interviewed Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement. And I'm like, okay, this is like this is interesting. Well, let's um, just hope that I'm 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 hesitant because how often do we get things from Britain over to America that that turn out really well? I, I refer to the, the IT crowd Americanized. Which mm -hmm. included one of the the main actors from the original one, and was just a goddamn mess. I guess they're trying it again, but this it, time with the office, the office. I think got really lucky because one thing they did is after the first episode they completely changed it. But you may not recall, Friends begot 
coupling over in England, and then they tried to bring coupling over to America, and and it was just immediately failure. It was so not good. I feel like there's some <laughs> other ones, but yeah, it, it could be it it could be good. It it could not, but that's what that's always the danger of anything. Uh, it's the interpretation that we'll have to see uh, what they do with it. But with him involved, how much he's involved, I don't know. Uh, it has potential. It has real potential. True. So the next two pieces of, of news, and we're sort of combining them here, is because one is really quick. Kelly Thompson over, uh, she's a comic book writer. She has signed an exclusive deal with Marvel Comics. She's been writing stuff, you know, over the past couple of years. Uh, she did Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps during Marvel's uh, Secret Wars 2 event. She did Captain Phasma. She's currently writing Hawkeye over at Marvel, and she's also just started the Rogue and Gambit book. Here's the part that really got me interested, because it is January 23rd when we record this. They're not going to announce any of her projects until San Diego Comic-Con, which is a good seven months away. That is a ways away. Yeah. One of the things that we still had announced yet is who's taking over Alias. The, we talked a couple weeks back about Bendis leaving Marvel for DC, and there were thoughts of who's going to go to where, and and those announcements still haven't really happened on on some stuff. We'll get to one that has uh, now, but Alias is one that we I think we were assured that a female writer is going to come in to take over that book, and that announcement still hasn't been made yet. So I, I think my guess had been Becky Cloonan because of what she was doing on Punisher at the time. We also now know that Gail Simone is going to be coming to Marvel writing Domino, Domino. a, a yeah. Domino series. But Gail Simone could do very good things with Alias, could do great things with a lot of different characters. But Domino is an interesting choice. So Kelly Thompson being a, signed as an exclusive, it, it sounds like she's been doing a lot of work at Marvel anyway. So it's just it's that guarantee of, of work and pay and benefits and everything else. Maybe they'll actually start letting women go to do retreats. I don't know. But at any rate, cool. Yeah. No, yeah, definitely. And the other bit that you alluded to is that Dan Slott is leaving The Amazing Spider-Man. He's been writing it... 10 years? Uh, yeah, about 10 years. And he is going to write Iron Man. He did an interview with Vulture um, that we are not quoting anything from here. Um, but he revealed that Amazing Spider-Man number 801 will be the final issue of his decade-long run with the character before he tackles an unnamed Iron Man title starring Tony Stark. So there's a little bit to parse here. The first one that I was that I was looking at was why 801? Because we we suspected last week with when we talked about uh, about Bendis doing a backup story for Action Comics on issue 1000 that this could be the final issue for Dan Jurgens with Action Comics. And I'm like okay, yeah, because it makes sense. Nice whole number. But this it's like I could stop at 800, but I got this little bit more I need to tell. So, I don't know. What What are your thoughts on this as someone who hasn't read comic books in a while? So, he came in to Spider-Man uh, during Brand New Day. He'd been writing some stuff that was, I think, outside of continuity with Spider-Man before that. But I was just checking to see what issues those were. And it looks like they were like 546 to 548. Uh, I was wondering if maybe it was like a round number that he was going for of how long he'd been there or how many issues that he was trying to do. It doesn't look like that's the case. So I'm not sure exactly why 801. I, I don't 
maybe it just keeps 800 from having to be a triple size issue instead of a double size issue if he wants to finish a story in that one extra or maybe he's got a single issue story that he wants to tell after the big event thing whatever he's doing finishes off either way it it's it's fine it may also just be timing of like when iron man is available is the following month and he he wants to clear one out to have the break to do the next one i like slot in this character he's obviously again 10 years writing uh, Peter Parker or Doc Ock as Peter Parker is huge. And yeah. uh, people, uh, of course, all have opinions as to who's their favorite run on a character. And uh, some people love slots work. Some people don't love slots work. I know someone who was a huge Spider-Man fan and left shortly before slot came in because he was just so pissed off with what they'd done to Peter Parker and everything else and he wound up coming back in during slots run and while he always acknowledges that it's very different from spider-man as like the continuity wise of what he grew up with and everything he really liked his take on the book and he liked the the take with doc ock a lot so i i i think that if you're open to it i i, I as i understand it slots done some really good stuff with the book done some weird, weird stuff too but 10 years like oh, try yeah. to do anything for 10 years and especially with a character that's so beloved, so long lived, so many expectations was for the longest time the flagship character for Marvel Comics. I mean, as much as they they based themselves off of starting with the Fantastic Four and everything, Spider-Man was the guy, you know, it, it was Spider-Man. It was the X-Men. Uh, the Avengers weren't big for a long time until the, the film universe came about. That's the part where I also appreciate this because slot looks at it as he's writing the character that started the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's yeah. writing Iron Man, and Iron Man used to be, like, not not small potatoes, but wasn't considered the most beloved character in the Marvel stable. But once Robert Downey Jr. started playing him in the movies, that changed a lot of people's perceptions of Iron Man. Yeah. And I think Slot, maybe... Was he part of the reason why Peter Parker went kind of Tony Stark on us in the last year or two of the book? Or was that all Bendis? Um, uh, no, that was uh, Slot. Okay. So, yeah. Um, I mean, he's kind of been writing I, 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 <laughs> Tony I think, Stark, Peter Parker anyways. Yeah. I, I think they did that a little bit to keep some little things with the Fantastic Four still alive. Like, you know, the fact that they were the main headquarters for Parker Industries was the Baxter building and also um, to help differentiate Peter from Miles who they just brought over to the main yeah, universe. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Now now there's there's this one part here in the article that I love and it's a quote from Slot that he was talking about that how he feels like a jerk because uh whenever someone would interview him when interview him he would he would have to lie. Like he would have to he would have to say at conventions and stuff this is going to back during the Superior Spider-Man. Peter Parker is never coming back. I killed him. I lied. I lied horribly. This is a quote. I lied. I lied horribly. But that's what us storytellers do. We spin lies. Ha ha ha. Spin. Spiders. Ha ha. But then he goes He goes back that he's known about when he was going to leave since 2014. Since a little bit before I got into comic books. Or a little bit after I got into comic books. He knew when he was going to end. Because he, he, he talks about these benchmarks that he had to hit with these stories and that it would end up being, you know, boom here at this, at this time. But no, I mean, ultimately I look at this and I'm 
like all right cool this does fill a hole and i do like dan slot's uh work i love the uh, the superior iron man I like, and i still like that it's because it, it's not even really you out there superior but, spider-man yeah superior spider-man sorry I, actually i liked superior iron man as well but it, that was just you know re- extremely dickish tony stark who gave daredevil his sight for all of one issue and then took it away but i love superior spider-man like i love that book you know with the with doc ock and peter parker's body because it made for such compelling television or television for compelling comic books yeah i also feel like iron man is something that you can get away with more one of the problems with spider-man is that for many many people he was their guy for years and years you have an expectation of the character. You have an expectation of the character's relationships. You have uh, Aunt May. You have Mary Jane until they take Mary Jane away, which they did. Oh, funny enough, they put her in Iron Man. But you have the belief that that's why Spider-Man Renew Your Vows exists is because some, some people still want that marriage back. They want that relationship back. They want the, the kid back. So how Slot did Spider-Man and changed everything, he killed Peter Parker and put someone else in the suit but in the suit as peter parker and just fucked up the whole world it but did it in a way that could still allow spider-man to do different things that didn't feel like it was a lie because it well that's not what spider-man do well that's what this spider-man would do it's not it's not really peter you got to be in on this Um, it was like the superior superior spider-man book honestly it took the whole secret identity thing and add the other layer of the fact that you have Doc Ock, you have Otto Octavius inside Peter Parker. He has to pretend to be Peter Parker right. for everyone around him at Horizon Labs, you know, upholding that persona. Yeah, and, and like I always say, it's it's tough when you do something like that, uh, when you change who's in the Captain America suit, when you change who's in the Iron Man suit, without having the, the book going alongside that where people can still get that character that they... Are attached to but he he did it and it lasts for a good number of years now i don't i don't know how many people read comics that actually believe peter parker is never actually coming back of course peter parker is coming back uh at this point in time there's not a goddamn character in the marvel universe that isn't coming back or hasn't come back it's just it's probably one of the biggest problems with comics is that death means nothing but on the other hand this is a very interesting thing to do with that story instead of just killing them putting them on a shelf for a while and then waiting for the time when it's like, oh, now we're going to bring back Professor Xavier for no fucking reason. Uh, but you'll like it. Uh, still, my, my point going backwards is that with Iron Man, the opportunity is there to get away with more stuff. Because yeah. while Iron Man has established relationships, they've never been as solidified as what Parker had. Tony Stark is a very volatile character. But you can also do a lot of really imaginative stuff with the kinds of things that he does with his tech, with what the villains that he goes up against does. It's a very, very different rule set. And I think it's looser and people can be more accepting because the expectations aren't as high. And and Beat's asking, how does Iron Man sell? Iron Man sells pretty good. Yeah. Like I said, they, they had Bendis on both books for a while. And Bendis was their you know, in their top two creators. I, I think Bendis and Slot were really their top two writers mm-hmm. at the company as far as performance. And, you know, he was doing the Iron Man book. So obviously the the expectation is, is that they sold enough to keep Bendis on there for a period of time. But he was also doing Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, at the same time. Just weird. Just weird, man. I think 
it's an opportunity for Slot to stretch his legs and do something else and still have some fun. Maybe he can bring back some throwbacks to stuff he did. Octavius seems like he could be right up there as an Iron Man villain as he is a Spider-Man villain. So if he wants to use him, he has the opportunity there. Yeah. Still the Marvel Universe. I'm going to be honest with you guys. The next story, we talked about in the post show that how I didn't want to talk about this because I don't see this working. <laughs> is, um, but But I will take this because it leads so perfectly into my else views. And it is John Cena, now imagine what I'm going to talk about in my else views, is in talks to star in Duke Nukem as Duke Nukem. For those of you guys who don't know, Duke Nukem is the video game title franchise that it's going to be set up at Paramount. Platinum Dunes, the company run by Michael Bay, Andrew Form, and Brad Fuller are set to produce. There's no one really else attached on there. But basically, uh, Duke Nukem started in 1991. He was this super tropey uh like action movie like arnold schwarzenegger rambo you know all those action movies from the 80s it was like that roll up into one and then you got to play him i'm oversimplifying this because i was two when he came out sorry well he was also he's got the personality of ash from evil dead yeah and put into a a doom style video game yeah except with with way bigger fucking guns than than anything you can fucking imagine i i wasn't a duke duke nukem fan i like serious sam but yeah you're 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 right now so explain to the people why i don't like john cena being cast as as duke nukem what what is your what is your issue so my issue is the fact that you have john cena you know wwe superstar 16-time world heavyweight champ tied with rick flair right there you know he draws a young crowd it it, to dive into professional wrestling real quick there are two people right now in the wwe who get the same reactions john cena and roman reigns john cena for a very long time people would boo him and people would cheer him in the same crowd like but nobody cheers roman reigns right People, people cheer Roman. People cheer. They're Roman. all plants. They're paid <laughs> off. What the fuck are you doing with these Mark terms, man? Are you secretly a wrestling fan? No, <laughs> no, because they have Roman Reigns. <laughs> well, I'll tell you who they don't have: Enzo Amore. Boom, yeah. Ooh, get out of here. Sorry, that's a decide. So Cena, who I mean, and you look at some of his past movies; they've been on the. Kids can go see it. Kids cannot go see it. It's favored a little bit more to kids can go see it, um, especially his last movie, uh, Fernand, which is a kids movie. Like it's it's one of those things that <laughs> I think he draws too young of a crowd. That's my thing. Is like his his fan base is kids. Now you have this character who it's going to be. And again, yes, the premise, as Beat is pointing out in our chat, the premise of Duke Nukem is made for 11 to 14-year-olds. True. John Cena's fan base is 8 to 10, like for a lot of them. And also, you're, you're, at, you're, miss, you're missing something. The premise of Duke Nukem is made for 8 to 14-year-old boys. Girls are a little bit more mature at, eight, at 11 to 14. You know, boys, it's like, oh, it's because it's a lot of it is potty humor. Like, I remember, I don't remember what game it was. But seeing where you can sit, you can play as Duke Nukem and you go over to the bathroom and it says, use the toilet. And you see a stream of urine going into the toilet. And I remember giggling like a little schoolboy because 
I thought that was fucking hilarious. But then again, I was 14. So John, like this seems like a weird step for John Cena, in my opinion, to play super sweary because I'm now seeing the promos that they did for Logan, where they're like, Oh, don't take your kids to this or, or not Logan for Deadpool. Now, do I think this is cool? Yes, but that's me as a 29-year-old. And it's like, I don't want to sit there with little, like, sitting there with a bunch of little kids in the theater going, and then the parents getting up going, this movie's swearing, and I'm like, and I have to be like, it's Duke Nukem, of course he swears. Now, Corey, it's your turn. So you're saying that this character choice skews too old for John Cena's audience? Yes. Okay. I'm not going to disagree with you in the fact that John Cena's audience in relation to his world wrestling, whatever the E stands for, uh, persona. Yeah, sure it is. Uh, that it <laughs> that it is for, you know, younger, that, that, that most of them have been young kids. I, I don't know how much of his fandom can be literally put at the feet of 8 to 10 year olds considering the amount of wrestling fans who are again your age glenn's age don't tell him we said his name uh my age on up i i feel like there's probably some crossover there yeah but you are talking about the kids who watch john cena in wwe this is not for them and i completely agree with you this is probably not for them this is for john cena of tomorrow because John Cena, my friend, is 40 years old. He's closer yep. to my age than he is your age. John mm -hmm. Cena also is trying to make that transition from being a world wrestling entertainment person to being a TV star, a movie star, what have you. John Cena was in Sisters. John Cena said some nasty shit in Sisters. Uh, John Cena has been looking for his breakout, much like The Rock had when he played the Scorpion King. Mm -hmm. Scorpion King was PG-13 and everything, but after Scorpion King, what did The Rock do? He did Doom, which was an R-rated movie, which was an action movie based off a of video game. Do he you did, think uh, John Cena he... is maybe trying to follow the smell of what The Rock is cooking, who is now known as Dwayne Johnson, and I keep calling him The Rock, because that's the thing, is you graduate. You look at, I'm not going to be able to wrestle for the next 30 years, but I sure as shit can be entertaining up on screen if they give me a good property. My friend, this guy wants to go up to that next level. He doesn't want to just be for 8 to 10-year-olds anymore. He wants to make that transition. And that's where I think you're, you're missing the boat. Is that, yeah, Duke Nukem, realistically, should be played by Drago from Rocky IV. Oh, um, uh, Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, he should be played by Dolph Lundgren right after Rocky IV. Uh, yeah. That's who this character is basically made to be. Uh, except we didn't know that Dolph Lundgren had a personality at that point. He's become much cooler mm -hmm. now. And could play him now. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger could play Duke Nukem now. But they want to get this property to a new generation. You know, it, it because it takes 30 fucking years between video games for them. Uh, just on the one that they promise. Yeah. It, all in all, it's like we want to get a young, hot star to revitalize our, our game character, and the young, hot star wants to revitalize his career 
in this new direction. I think this is a perfect matchup, much like Brutus the Barber Beefcake going up against Brett the Hitman Hart. Uh, that's where I am with my wrestling knowledge. <laughs> Sweaty mans. Uh, I just it all up. I pretty much. Can I involve Junkyard Dog somehow? Yeah, go for it. Why the fucking Federation doesn't? So I, I'm just saying, Coco, beware. Uh, the, <laughs> I think this is a good thing. I think this is a good thing for him. I think this is a a smart move. Yeah. Uh, it was it was going to be a superhero at some point. It was going to be an also ran in in a DC movie, not a Marvel movie. Let's face it, that he was going to show up in. Uh, what wasn't there some rumors about him maybe playing Shazam up against the Rock? I think I think there were were for a little bit, but I think it was more like fan casting. Absolutely, but, yeah. but that's the thing. You get fan casted, and if enough fans start screaming your name out loud, then all of a sudden you're the person that people start calling. It, it's like the people who say, "Oh, I'd really like to play this character." They say it out loud on Instagram, like I would really love to play Batgirl. Well, Lindsay Lohan, you fucking ain't gonna. Uh, no, no one's casting no. you. You goddamn blew it. You goddamn blew it. I feel bad. I, I, I'd like to see you have a resurgence. Maybe fucking you'll get a, a goddamn Pulp Fiction one day. You know, just somehow, you know, you'll John Travolta your way up on a fucking stage and dance real good. And people go, oh, yeah, I remember when John Travolta was pretty fucking cool for a bit there. Maybe we can make him cool again. And then, oh, shit, Scientology happened. Good luck. Boink. Uh, <laughs> just, I think this is right. I think it's smart. I think it's good for both sides. It doesn't mean it's going to be a great movie. No, Doom yeah. again is the example. And video game movies in general is just like, oh, shit, what are you doing? But it's a good property because unlike Doom, there is a personality to what the game is about. And that personality is big and boisterous and loud, and it's right up John Cena's alley. I don't think he could have picked a better thing to come in on uh, that is going to show off his physicality, his charm, his intelligence, his ability to just lay into somebody, I think it's it's ideal. Okay, now don't get me wrong. I, I like the idea, you know, personally, but it's one of those, like, again, my thing is with the the wrestling community because all the other movies that you've mentioned, they did not talk about John Cena being in them, like in WWE, his, in his home. Right. And not. We mentioned, or Growly mentioned in the in the chat that he loved he loves seeing John Cena in Psych. They had yeah. the Psych movie. Now, John Cena made a small cameo at the end, but did they mention that at all? No. They mentioned Charlotte Flair. They mentioned her in there because she's in more of the movie. So I feel like if this is if this is going to happen, and you know this, this moves forward, and they're going to stick closer to Duke Nukem, the video game, then when they do advertise this on WWE because they will advertise it on his home. Do they advertise other R-rated movies during WWE? Yeah, they've advertised other movies in there um, quite a bit because they also have a production company. Right, but I'm saying, do they do they advertise other R-rated films? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Th then I don't think this is going to be all that different. I, I think it's, it's going to be even more than that because, let's face it, no one is going to theaters to see the Stone Cold Steve Austin movies. You know, he, he's done a bunch of... Because he was straight to DVD. Right. And, but that's just it, is he tried to do his crossover stuff too. And if they could have milked it, and if it had been a big deal, then they, they would have. But 
when the rock was in the scorpion king i bet they played the fuck out of those commercials and when the rock was in doom they probably played the fuck out of those commercials too i can't say for sure because again i'm not watching this shit but i don't think that the r-rated thing is going to keep them from advertising to the other generation or three of of wrestling fans it's just going to be like hey kids yeah, you're going to have to sit this one out. But yeah, guess what's out on DVD right now? Fucking Coco. Go get that shit. Hopefully, yeah. you won't have to worry about skipping past the goddamn short from Frozen at the beginning. Too soon. I know that was not the same movie, but yeah. might as well have been. That thing lasted fucking three movies long. So, uh, like again, because uh, the one that I'm trying to figure out what it was rated exactly, to hit your point on the whole, do they advertise R-rated movies on there? Yes, because again, I mentioned with the whole WWE Productions is the movie See No Evil, another movie that could, in theory, be on pot because it stars it stars Glenn Jacobs, aka Kane. But I want to say that that was an R-rated movie. So, I'm almost positive See No Evil; is, those movies were R-rated. Yeah, they're violent um, as shit. Uh, yeah, it, it was R, and they advertised they did behind the scenes production or stuff on WWE for it and stuff like that. So they have done it, but. The difference is Kane, his audience isn't young. His his audience is the older guys. But I don't it's think like Cena it. wants to only be for a young no, audience. No, no. And I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that's that's my fear of, you know, with the fact that like John Cena, John Cena, he's a fan of everyone, you know, or, you know, he wants everyone. But when you look in the WWE crowd, it's you see a lot of kids wearing the hustle, loyalty, respect shirts. You don't see a lot of old men. I, I'm also going to say that unless the movie is hypersexual, if at most it's it's super violent and has a lot of swearing, I don't think those kids are going to have any problem seeing it. Yeah, I think their dads or their uncles or anybody who takes them to see wrestling are going to be the ones like, don't tell your fucking mom about this. We're going to go see <laughs> the goddamn John Cena movie, right? Okay, you say anything and you're going to wish you were in that fucking ring. Okay. And not with Roman Reigns, because that guy's a pussy. I'm talking about a real fucking wrestler here. I'll put you up against Paige. Boom! I just threw another one at you. Okay. Uh, who also had to retire because... Right, because she, she had an injury. Yeah. Again. Don't try to school me, bitch! <laughs> so, Corey, you want to do a wrestling podcast? No. <laughs> Alright. but no, So, I mean, honestly, I love the news. I love that news of John Cena and Duke Nukem. We've, I've said all my piece about it. So we are going to take a break and talk about how you can help us out. And you can do that by going over to gncasts.com slash support. On there, you will find our Patreon page where you go there, you donate as much as you want, as little as little as a dollar a month, and it helps us keep the lights on here so we can keep the ship afloat. That's all we're trying to do is keep the ship afloat. And you can do that over at gncasts.com slash support. So it is time for the else views. And since we have the perfect segue from the last news story to Miles' view, I think I'm going to be greedy and go first. All I know about segues oh. is go over cliffs. <laughs> so full disclosure, we're, we're, we are recording this on Tuesday because I wanted to watch TV yesterday. More specifically, the, Raw, the WWE Raw 25th anniversary special that they aired on USA. Now... I will say if you watch Cultaholic, their YouTube channel, I agree with quite a bit of their w, uh, WTF things that they had where for, so with this, they were trying to be 
you know, monumental and, oh, we're doing this in two different places. We have it at the Barclays Center where we do SummerSlam and then we are also doing it at the site of the first wrestle or at the first Raw in the uh, Manhattan Center and these two venues and all this stuff. And that really didn't pay off. Like it was great for the nostalgia factor. Like they opened the show with with uh, Jerry the King Lawler and good old Jim Ross there, but then they almost immediately cut to the other side, cut to the at the Brooklyn and the and the Barclays Center. It was so bad for the people in the audience at the Manhattan Center because they built it, you know, ticketed. Okay, we're gonna have stuff on at both places. That when they had the first match, the fans chanted, "Thanks for th- thinking of us." It was like one of these like hey you didn't forget about us things and all that stuff like because it's right here and we're not having to watch it on the screens and it's it did feel like that like they the moments that they had over there were great but it wasn't perfect what it, was really in poor taste was the match they had at the pontiac silverdome with george the animal steel i i don't even think that was intended it was just like they filmed the homeless guy and uh for an hour yeah. he was just fighting his own demons just fighting your own demons george Bano. <laughs> We we miss you, buddy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And they had they had a lot of people on there. It was really good, even as they set up for you know the Royal Rumble this Sunday. But at the same time, I'm like, this could have been a little bit better if they did in another iconic arena that they haven't been to in a long time, Madison Square Garden. You know, I would have seen that being a little bit more monumental than doing two places where one, hey, you bought a ninety dollar ticket to watch it on TV with a bunch of other people and. The other place where, hey, you're watching all the events and, oh, you, you have to watch three matches on the Jumbotron and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it really short. I loved it and I don't regret pushing off the show a day to watch it. So, Corey. Did you watch it? Are you a WWE subscriber? Do you have that? Yes, on the WWE Network. Yeah, that uh, Raw and SmackDown aren't, aren't included in that. Um, You get the Raw replays. So I couldn't have waited to watch it, but I could have watched the 90 minute version uh, on Hulu, but I'm like, eh, I'm just going to do the whole thing. So Corey, how much you, did it run? It's a three hour show. No. How much, how much was it to watch it? Oh, um, it's on USA. It's free, but then on the WWE oh, okay. network. Yeah. It was on the USA network. Okay. Yeah. I'm so confused Corey. about wrestling because it was always pay-per-view stuff when I was a kid and yeah. I don't know how that stuff all worked out since they did their subscription plans. The subscription plans are mainly for the pay-per-views and then they have their weekly stuff like right now is 205 Live like as we're recording 205 Live is airing um, their Cruiserweight show and then tomorrow they have NXT but even then if you're not a subscriber you can watch those things on Hulu like if you have Hulu you can watch them on there so it's ma- a lot of it the main draw is the pay-per-views. Which I'm just surprised pay for view is still a thing at that point. If <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's something that me and Beat were talking about. All right, so Corey, you watch Black Lightning? I did, you know, because I'm on a neighborhood watch, and uh, <laughs> I figure you gotta, you gotta be. No, I'm kidding. Um, so I, I think it's it's common knowledge on here that I've dropped out of the CW shows. I hit my wall somewhere in the middle of last season. Uh, my second wall with Arrow. And uh, even Flash, which I liked for a long time last season, was just so rough to get through. Uh, Supergirl, <sighs> Legends of Tomorrow. I, I I think I came in for the crossovers. I came in for the Flash Supergirl musical episode. And I kind of thought, I, I don't know that I, I'm even interested in going back. I'm hearing good things about Flash this season. 
Supergirl's got Legion, Legion superheroes on it now. I'm interested in that, but again, it's in the midst of not. It's not like they could have easily fixed all the problems that I was having with those shows. And and I want to emphasize my problems with the shows does not mean that there are problems with the shows. It it means that I am not enjoying them for whatever reasons. And I was kind of up in the air as to whether or not I was going to check out Black Lightning because it's part of that gaggle of, of other shows. Now, it's it's not so far in the same universe in as much as there's not any kind of mention of Green Arrow or Flash or Supergirl or whoever. They do make it seem like there are other heroes in the world. They just don't bring any of it up. It, it's, it's in a different area. So it's possible that it's on one or both. Well, one of the other planets, I guess. It could be in Arrow and Flash's world version of Earth, which I guess is Earth 1 in this. Uh, it could be in whatever Earth Supergirl is in in these things. Could be, I doubt it's Earth 2 with uh, Harry and all that stuff. But it, it pretty much stands alone. The thing is, is that even standing alone, it's the same creators. It's the same, I would assume, some of the same writers. And did I want to come back into that? Now, all I've seen so far is the pilot. And as a pilot, it it sets you up with what you need to know about the character, what you need to know about the direction of the show. And they can be iffy. They can be like, oh, yeah, you know, it's it's very hammer it all in. So you get all you need and doesn't do a great job, job of telling story. Or it could be the opposite. It could be like the first episode is great. And then everything that comes after that is just like filler until you get into the season. I don't know what the second episode is like yet. It just aired last night. And even though I wasn't watching wrestling, like some people, uh, I didn't watch this yet. But I will say that in the first episode, I very much enjoyed what they did. Now, the the story of Black Lightning in this incantation, incarnation, sorry, is that he quit being a superhero years ago. He was a protector in his community, but he was not beloved by the cops because he's a vigilante and he had some enemies in the gang the gang is called the 100 which i think used to be a cw show which is just a dick move but he quit because he was getting beat up and was likely going to get himself killed and he was married and had two daughters and his wife was like you can't keep doing this and one time he came home just too far for her and she left him she left their marriage, she took their daughters, you know, didn't like take them completely away from him. But just basically, he realized that if he was ever going to get his family back, uh, meaning his wife and his full time with his kids, he was going to have to give this up. Now, he also, in his regular life, became the school principal. And one of the things he says in this is that he's saved more lives and done more to affect his community as the principal of his school than he ever did as Black Lightning, which I think is cool. It gives him motivations outside of the suit, which Oliver really didn't have. And Barry should have had more of, especially as a cop, as a, a CSI, uh, as a, a tech for the police. He should be more involved, but it just seems like it's you're always waiting for them to get in the costume, and that's really it. Now, again, I'm not watching this season. I think there's more going on with Barry right now than that. And Ollie, I guess, became mayor or something. But in this, it it works out because to pull him into being Black Lightning again, it has to be something that he can't do as the principal. He can't do 
as just a regular person. And yeah, they, they give you a little bit of flashes, so to speak, of him kind of like leaning towards reacting. Uh, there is the pulled over for being black, if you, <laughs> which is a phrase I think we, we know from Baratunde and Odakta. There's a lot of things where it's just like the gang's stuff has become too much. Plus, his daughter winds up getting involved. As she's being rebellious and she winds up getting involved with a guy who is part of the gangs and gets in over her head and he goes in to get her out and that puts him back on the street as black lightning again some of the big things that i like about this is the fact that he's got kids uh in the first episode we find out that one of the kids has developed powers themselves and we'll see where that goes but it's also just the fact that he's a parent is a different dynamic than what i was getting from the other shows the stuff that he's trying to do at the school some of the stuff is getting played in those other shows I, oliver they gave a kid Oliver, they've given him a job outside of being Green Arrow, but this is like trying to find a balance. Oliver never really balanced it. And overall, I feel like maybe the the gang stuff, it's all very personal right away, but it's not someone else's vendetta, which it was for Oliver. It was him fulfilling his dad's thing. Uh, it's not fucking flashbacks three times an episode to a fucking island that nobody wants to see anymore. Uh, so... I really like that he's got a guy who works with him that supplies him with the stuff that's already in place, that's in place for me for all of these things that we would normally see the first season build like, okay, who's the hero? What's his identity? Where do you get the suit? Who's his support group? All those things are already there from the very beginning in this. And I think that makes it easier to jump into this than it did. in those other things of like how many episodes until when, and Supergirl actually makes sense. And oh, no, Supergirl's part of the DEA or whatever. It it's, it all becomes very kind of cliche and convenient that all the, hey, we just happen to have this excellent lab for Flash to hang out with. Uh, it just, who's funding this? Nobody. Uh, but but it's still okay. We're, we're all still doing it. That's what I, I like is that this doesn't need all of that kind of explanation to fix the holes that, that you're just supposed to glaze past and ignore. Otherwise, it's it's more street level. And yeah, it's still, you know, kind of it's still a TV show that's trying to do superpowers. And I think that it's doing them OK. It, he's not so super powerful, but there are things that it was shut up, beat. I will slam you <laughs> on the fucking ground. Um, <laughs> Pete just said, are you saying it's grounded? Uh, yes, it is. It's it's I think it also speaks to me in a way that the Luke Cage stuff has. And I really like luke cage i think that the second half of luke cage's first season was garbage because they changed villains at a point in time where the first villain was really interesting and the second one was just not although as i think back on it now i feel like that second villain spoke more to the types of films and stuff from the 70s that it was playing off of and that silliness and over-the-top attitude and everything else maybe was meant to be evocative of classic things that it was it was trying to to play off that that's cooler it still just didn't work for me yeah and and again very early into this show we'll see how long it works for me and how long it doesn't i am older now and and keeping up with these these programs it, they're just not as interesting to me anymore there's so much good content out there and it's it's harder for something to keep my attention but I was glad to give this one a shot. I'm glad that it made me want to see the second episode. 
So I went from just recording the the pilot to saying, okay, let's let's season pass this now because I don't nice. want to miss it. I wanted a chance to to see more of it. So yeah, yeah. so far so, so good. So I also watched Black Lightning, and I've got some. I got a, an article I read before the show that I hadn't shared with you guys that I want to share because it, it could affect some things here. But I liked it. I um, like right like I'd say probably about fifteen, maybe thirty minutes in saw the comparisons to Luke Cage. Not as a bad thing, but just as a all right, this it's got that similar setup that Luke Cage had of he's he's doing this to protect the people that he loves. His community so, as well. Yeah, his his community. But I I love this pilot. I love everything that they, you know, from the music to the look, the feel of everything. You almost couldn't say one of the producers is Greg Berlanti. This seems like something completely different. Like they're just using DC characters, but that he's not really in like it, you wouldn't say, oh, this is an Arrowverse thing. It's not, but it, it's that it's, you know, it's in that same, you know, it's from them, that same team. Now it I read an article. Out. Yeah. Yeah. It stands out really well. Um, I read an article that says uh, from the CW president, we will only ever get at one time four superhero shows on at once. That's why we have right now the long break for legends of tomorrow keeping that in mind you get to play the president of cw and this is just the superhero one so riverdale and i zombie get passes but you have black lightning flash arrow supergirl and legends of tomorrow what do you put for whole seasons like there's no breakage between them and then what do you put as like smaller seasons <sighs> Uh, I mean, it's unfair for me to to say this because I've already hit my point of I don't care for those other shows right now. Uh, I may at some point come back to them and and find the enjoyment that I had at the beginning. But I, I think that Arrow itself has has shown that it's maybe gotten a little long in the tooth, maybe time to retire. But it, it's it's unfair to say that because it's also been a, a long running Haha, <laughs> Flash. Staple for the CW Network and is one of their most successful ones. That's going to be the thing is it's going to have to be judged by the successes. I do like that Black Lightning has a different distinct feel from the other shows, but each of those shows should have their own distinct feel. You know what I do, honestly, is I would move Kara over to the same Earth as the other characters yeah, And I would do it slowly so I would integrate her like what they're doing right now is they're integrating Kid Flash into the Legends of Tomorrow show. I would integrate Kara into that for at least half a season. And then I would combine her and Barry's show together and I would call it the Brave and the Bold and make that one show with both of those because I think they work really well together. I think tonally they fit together and they're both the most super powered superheroes of the whole group. It just feels like it could work. But at that point in time, why aren't we just doing a Justice League show? You know, maybe not calling it Justice League, but doing something in the way that is that, you know, because Legends of Tomorrow really isn't a superhero team. It, it's super powered team, although half of them are not powered, but it's their their motives are very different from a, a group like that. Yeah, I like that idea of, you know, the brave and the bold. But my thing with, well, why not do a Justice League TV show? And Legends sort of counters it or contradicts what I'm going to say is the fact that 
with the Justice League, you have quite a bit of characters that need to get, you know, that will all have their like their own storylines going through. And since we already have legends, I could see that being a little bit too complicated in a way. But in that case, I, I feel like one, we've got Arrow is has got his team now. He's got a whole bunch yeah. of heroes that are on his team. Flash doesn't quite have that, but it's had enough speedsters for one. But on top of that, now they've got Elongated Man in there, becoming more of a regular character this season, I guess. They've got Vibe. Uh, I don't know how much they're using Killer Frost because she's really a villain, but everybody's got fucking powers. Yeah. Yeah. And and so all of these things are essentially team shows already. Supergirl has Martian Manhunter uh, and then has all the DEO stuff that that's in there too. Uh, occasionally it, now she's introduced Monel and all the Legion characters. They, they keep wanting to give us a justice league without calling it the justice league. Got to tell you guys, it's not like the movie. He really made good use of the name, but yeah. even if you call it something else, do, do something else. That's, that's fine. It, I just feel like what would be the show that would grab everybody's attention? Because the crossovers do it. The crossovers yes. grab everybody's attention. If you took these characters, if you got rid of Legends and you combined these things into a big powerhouse show that jumped around, like maybe still have individual shows for some of the characters, but involve them into a big crossover show at all times as well, then that would be the beck and call for everybody who watches this stuff that would be the the biggest viewership it would cost the most too but it's kind of like how they were paying john barrowman and uh captain cold uh yeah they gave them contracts that allowed them to go between the different shows yes so it wasn't like i'm just contracted to be on arrow or i'm just contracted to be on flash it's i'm contracted to be on any of them they're just going to use me in the right amount of episodes that they need to to fulfill the contract and and put me where I, I make the most sense that week. Yeah. Do so, it like that. It's just kind of what do you call those things to do it? But I, I feel that's very beneficial because then you can get Green Arrow and a Canary, whichever one they decide on finally, and Adam and Flash and Supergirl all in one place more regularly. And that is what the viewers want. It's just you have to do some good storytelling at the same time. And yeah, maybe so, it, it de-emphasizes the melodrama with all the side characters that it's the mm-hmm. least interesting and most frustrating of the shows. For me, again, for me. Here's sort of my piggyback off of it. You take your idea of Brave and Bold. That is your group show. So then that they can do the Justice League without calling it Justice League to have that pressure on them uh, from the movie universe and to where, you know, the film universe can still have Justice League, but they have their own. And so it, it sort of be like a wink and a nudge for the fans. Like, yeah, that's called the Justice League, but we got the Justice League here. But then my question would be, do we then have more for a show where we don't have, like right now it's all, they're doing the traditional start in the fall, end in the spring, start in the fall, end in the spring. You're talking about like these characters where they have other little stories outside. Like, do we then do like, okay, this is going to be where we'll have Flash and Supergirl. And then I I, I still like the concept of Legends, but for this, I'm going to disallow it because part of me wants to keep Black Lightning because it is separate. So, you know, and to follow the rule of there's going to be four superhero shows on here. And then the next season we might get 
the legend so we're going to get more time travel stuff and arrow but not flash and supergirl yeah and we're not even talking about some of the other properties that one may be involved yeah. but are on different networks like titans or that were from somewhere else and came in and get used sparingly like constantine i like that you saw the brave and the both thing because it, it works even better if you treat it not exactly like an anthology show but sort of like an anthology show where it's not always the whole team it's kind of like justice league unlimited was yeah. when they they switched from the justice league show which was about those seven characters and, and all the stuff that they did as a group and, and and then they went into the unlimited one where it's like there's just so many different people that are on the justice league we can't make the shows feature them all but if we concentrate on a couple of them at a time and do those stories it gives you more of a, a broad sense of the justice league is always doing something always working but not always working in the same room at once and it gives us the opportunity to have some of the characters that wouldn't normally be heavily featured become the featured character of the show because they're always there your lab rat characters like a felicity or a cisco or whatever they're the ones that are constantly in the room constantly kind of like pointing the team uh like uh what they called Watchtower when Chloe was taking over things on Smallville, which makes more sense now that she's in a cult or, or <laughs> Oracle or whatever, you know, all that stuff. It doesn't make anybody lose their show. It may give you a better guidance for what the show can be and, and give these characters more focus in something where they wouldn't normally have more focus. Does it steal from Legends? That That's the thing is Legends kind of does that now. It's we, we take this character in when we need them in for a while and then we put them away. Maybe a little bit, but Legends gets to do something different because one, Legends isn't necessarily the same kind of heroism. And two, they get to shift through time, uh, which you can utilize in this too. Yeah, but it's not the constant Legends. I think they have to do the time thing so much that it just it becomes overbearing for what the storytelling could be without that always being a factor and there's just so many things like the the legion now and uh, if we got the hawks back once in a while just or either vixen there's so much stuff to draw into it that i think it's got a lot of potential yeah but what do you give up to get there the other part is because of last week's episode of the flash so now, right now, I think I'm going to be a little bit more pickier with the show, CW shows, like, because basically I gave them, I gave them all Crisis on Earth X, and then I'm like, okay, I'm watching no more of them. I think I might tomorrow, I might actually, I might go back into Supergirl and go, am I enjoying this? And actually with all the CW shows, it's on a toss up right now with me for Jane the Virgin, because it's been like, all right, and it's like, I'm still enjoying the shows, but, or the, uh, the episodes, but it's sort of like. I could be watching something else. Like, I really but, want to check out the, they just did the, or are just doing the Ralph Dibney elongated man, where he actually gets a name that episode. I, I, yeah. I want to check that out, but it's like, did at you, the same time, you, how vested do I have to be in a show to jump into this part? And am I just, did you see the name of the myself? episode, the elongated night strikes back or something. <laughs> the, elongated night, the elongated night rises. Yeah. With night being the, like, like the dark night. Yeah, like I, I said, that's a beat, and he just started laughing. <laughs> but yeah, and it's like that's where I think with Flash because I came back in and I watched last week's episode of the the trial of Barry Allen or trial of the Flash. I forget what they called the the name of the episode. 
I want to say it was Barry Allen because he was on trial, not the flash. And they alluded to, and it was something that I didn't catch, but one of the earths that Wells mentions is earth 15, which in the comics, it's where we get Volthoom. So it's like, well, this is a, another mention to the green lanterns. And I'm like, why don't they do a green lantern show? Cause the, the green lantern core could be another, you know, like just calling it like the core or something with the O being the green lantern symbol. That could be, you know, another one of these, but it's all the space stuff where the brave and the bold might be, you know, more earth based. Space is hard. Space is yeah. hard to do well in movies, let alone in TV. And, and we're already going to kind of see a little bit of that in the Krypton series yeah. that's coming out from sci-fi that I I believe it, it's going to include Adam Strange. There's some rumor that it might include a Hawkwoman, not necessarily the one that we had, uh, the Kendra, but maybe the original version of Hawkwoman from the comics, Shara Hall. And it seems that a Green Lantern could stop into that uh, because we're already dealing with other planets. But once it, it's that same thing of like unleashing magic into a show or unleashing other things into the show, you have to kind of prepare for how you're going to deal with the long term effects of that. Yeah, because once you once you unpop that cork, it's it's a lot to then say, OK, now we can put this away for a little while. Well, no. How can you fucking put that away? We have fucking space police. You know, <laughs> we have we have a, a Green Lantern that's that's a broccoli stock. We have a Green Lantern that is a chipmunk. <laughs> like, how do you how do you not face up to that every week? And and that's yeah. that's that's challenging. And making that work with the budgets that they have for television, which they do amazing things with. But doing it regularly on that kind of show, doing a Green Lantern event series. And that might be the other portion of this, too, is doing those shows, but not doing 24 episodes a season. Yeah. Like we always say that doing something that's tight, uh, do 12 episodes for each one and then just have them roll right into each other and then have that other thing be the, uh, Brave and the Bold runs the whole season. And that's where we get to utilize the characters, the actors and the characters more when their seasons are up. Yeah, I like that. But yeah, so I mean, Black Lightning, I believe it airs on Tuesdays on CW. Yeah, I believe it's right after Flash. Yeah, check it out there. And then I think it's going to be on Netflix all, all around the world or something. There's deals all over. You can find it um, if you do a quick Google search. Or, or you but can yeah. always check out the CW app. Yeah. CW app, I believe, is not geo-located, uh, geo, uh, so you should be good no matter what. Do you like scary movies? Did you answer yes to that question? Have you ever thought, hmm, I'd really like to listen to two random strangers talk on the internet about some movies that I may or may not have watched at some point in my life. Sometimes they even bring guests on, which adds to a little bit of the banter. Sometimes we cover the news of the week. Sometimes we don't talk about the movie at all. Sometimes one of us gets a little bit drunk. It's just the way that we do things over at the Podcast of Terror, which is a production of Galactic Netcast, in case you weren't sure. If you're interested in this, please go ahead and head over to gncast.com slash pot. Subscribe and enjoy the crap out of it. So this one I'm, and I think beat might actually join us on air for this because I was honestly sort of like, eh, okay, I don't know enough about this to be like, why is this guy so upset? So this came in from, from bleeding cool. And this is that there was the cover of justice league of America. Number 23 done by Doug Mankey. Featured the current baddie of the series, 
the Queen of Fables in close combat with Promethea, the character created by Alan Moore and J.H. Williams III for the America's Best Comic Series, Promethea. Now, apparently there were some things that were said about this that, like, he didn't, I guess he didn't know about it. Okay, so uh, taking a step back, America's Best Comics was a comics imprint that was created at Wildstorm Comics back in the mid-late 90s. I'm trying to remember exactly when. That's where Alan Moore did his comic series, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, was publishing through that. But that was separate from ABC, which was Tom Strong, Promethea, the top 10, all of these things that were that played to more strength of world building, character building, the way he did storytelling. Gray Shirt, I think, was another one. And he worked with a lot of creators. So there's some discussion as to whether or not the characters were work for hire or if there was a a share ownership with the artists and stuff like what you'd find on Mark Miller deal. Uh, with the people that he works with on his stuff, like Kick-Ass and stuff, was with John Romita and um, Wanted is with J.G. Jones, I think. So Wildstorm was a separate entity from... It was still, I think, an image at that point, but it was it was Jim Lee's imprinted image and had grown very big, and they had gotten other creators in. They had done some stuff with... Uh, they did an homage line where they had Terry Moore publishing Strangers in Paradise for a while. And they did some other stuff. Esther City used to be at Homage and at Wildstorm. When Alan Moore went to Wildstorm to do this, one of the things was that he had had a bad working relationship with DC, mostly having to do with how they treated him with Watchmen and how that was supposed to revert to his rights at some point. And because they found a loophole of keeping the trade paperback in print forever, not necessarily a bad thing because the book, continues to sell after 30 years in crazy ways but they never have to give him the ownership of the characters and the book back he also had some falling outs with marvel i do remember joe casada had done some things to try to correct that and fix it and then there were some other hiccups and so when marvel did the uh reprints of miracle man which was a character that was created by Moore under marvel uk's line and the rights had sort of kind of gotten around from Eclipse to then getting bought out by Todd McFarlane to then having a court loss with, against Neil Gaiman for other things. Neil Gaiman essentially got the rights over to Marvel to let them publish the stuff. Alan Moore didn't want his name on it. And Marvel respectfully, I, I guess we're going to go with, said okay. And they didn't put Moore's name on it. They just called it by the original creator. Or the original writer, I think, is is what they put down in the credits for it. But DC is just kind of never really wanted to do right by more. A few years ago, they did the Watchmen prequels that were not well received. While there may be a couple of the books uh, and, and a couple of creators in particular who did OK stories and stuff. Nobody really was saying, oh, what we need is a series of Watchmen books that take place before Watchmen. Although it's Kind of hard to do stuff after Watchmen. You would think, and I believe part of the deal with, with Watchmen was that they were never allowed to do a sequel unless they got Moore's okay. So they're not doing a Watchmen sequel. They're integrating the Watchmen characters into the DC universe right now by having Dr. Manhattan be the reason for the DC rebirth. 
uh, having Ozymandias showing up, having a version of Rorschach show up, introducing some other characters that are kind of like the Watchmen in the amalgams of Punch and Julie, uh, in this mime and whoever else uh, the other character is. So they're 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 just like pissing on any respect for more that they may have once feigned to have. More is just old cranky pissed off Brit who's who's doing sex magic in his dungeon, but he's still kind of considered one of the gods of comic creation. And uh, you're either a fan or you're not. I'm not a huge fan, but more worked with other people. And so in the case of Promethea, for instance, he worked with J.H. Williams III. Now, part of J.H. Williams doing Sandman Overture from a couple years ago with Neil Gaiman was supposed to be that there was going to be a Promethea omnibus kind of thing that was going to come out. And this version of Promethea, the book, was very weird. The layouts were all supposed to be sideways splash pages. There was a big thing with the 90s where they would turn pages on their sides. McFarlane did it a lot with Spider-Man. So they were trying to find a way to package this, and it was going to be difficult, but was also very exciting. If you were a fan of the Promethea book, then you were looking forward to this. That was apparently part of the deal. Now, now wait, when you say sideways splash page, do you mean like this? Yes. Like literally holding the book on but, its side. But opening, opening it up and having two of those pages together so the artwork is reading downward as opposed to across. Okay. All that said, the, the, the stickiness is, is that does J.H. Williams own any of the rights to the character with more? And I think when ABC with Wildstorm got acquired by DC Comics and more is like, well, then fuck yeah. And mostly walked off, except for he was finishing some stuff with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which again, DC kind of fucked him because they edited some stuff that they weren't supposed to edit out of his book, an ad or something that was in one of the issues. And he's like, he was just livid about it in an Alan Moore way. Uh, but he wasn't really wrong because it was, again, the promise that his stuff wasn't going to be interfered with. And that all got screwed because Jim Lee, first chance he got, just sold out the whole kit and caboodle to DC, became a big editor over there and didn't do anything to appease his relationship with Alan Moore and the promises that he made with him and is now actively part of the company that is screwing him and the other creators that worked with him on these ABC books. So does J.H. William have any stake in Promethea other than the fact that he is a co-creator of the character and had expectations that were laid out? And in the end, at the very least, you could have just said, hey, we're thinking about using Promethea in Justice League. How is that with you? How do you feel about it? Or we just want to let you know. They didn't. They didn't do any of that. It, it Whether it's a legal issue and he has to take him to court or it's just a respect issue, why do you want to piss off J.H. Williams? Like, it's one thing to piss off more because Moore's just made to be pissed off. Why do you want to piss off J.H. Williams and do this? And do it in such a way that really doesn't bring anything to the Promethea character and story as it existed. I have not read Promethea, but as I understand it, it started out as being what people looked at as like, oh, so Alan Moore's doing a Wonder Woman kind of thing. On the surface, that was what you were expected to think. As it went along, the artwork, like many more things, became much deeper, much more ingratiated. Some people have described it as a magic spell in comic book form. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing, as you read it across, it becomes like you're getting to become part of the spell. It, it's kind of like when Grant Morrison broke the fourth wall with Animal Man, except taken to a higher degree. 
And this is not the only case because DC also is planning on involving Tom Strong, another ABC property, and some of the characters from that story in their new The Terrifics comic that's coming about, which is under the bannerhead of Jim Lee and Dan DiDio. So he can't act like he doesn't know any about this. And that comics co-creator, Chris Sprouse, who I think also wrote some Tom Strong stuff after Moore decided he wasn't going to write it anymore. They didn't let him know either. So, no, sorry, J.H. Williams, not, we're not asking you permission. We're not telling you. We're not being respectful to you as a creator. Uh, so maybe you'll never want to work with us again. Oh, hey, Chris Sprouse, kind of the same thing over here. Again, don't know if Sprouse has any kind of legal standing with the character, but just God damn it, show some fucking respect to the creators who've worked for you in the past, who could work for you in the future, and just in general, don't Jack Kirby motherfuckers like that. But this seems to be the state that DC's in. Last year, going back even further, there was a character that was going to be introduced, I think, again, in Justice League. I don't know if it was by the same creator. That character was called Kid Eternal. And that, or no, Kid Endless. That's what it was, Kid Endless. And it was a character that was meant to look and be evocative of the Endless characters by Neil Gaiman. You know who didn't get a call about that? Neil fucking Gaiman. Neil Gaiman had to be side blasted by it on the internet by people saying, hey, have you seen this Kid Endless guy? Isn't that weird? Or did you have anything to do with the creation of this character that's so obviously based off of your characters and your relationship with DC all this time has been, hey, if you're ever going to do anything with Sandman or the Endless, talk to me first and make sure I'm okay with it and I'll keep doing work with you. Otherwise, you fuck me over. I'm going to fucking leave. I'm going to take my toys as I have them and go home, which is not he can take Sandman because he can't because he doesn't own the character. But it's just a respect thing. It's a, I'm not saying you can never do anything with Sandman. I'm just saying, fucking talk to me first. Fucking yeah. let me know. And and we'll hash it out. You know, give me the first chance to peruse it. And goddamn, that kid, that endless character, disappeared from that storyline real, real fast. Did not happen. Because Neil Gaiman is someone that they still want to work with. Or I think uh, Beat even mentioned, he's got a social following that would rip DC to shreds and was starting to do that. I, I don't think people are stepping up in the same way for J.H. Williams. And I don't think they're stepping up the same way for Chris Sprouse. And they're not stepping the same way for the, the ABC properties. One, because they're not at the same level as what Sandman was. As good as they were, and, and as, as many people who are fans of them were, they were a product of a certain time and they kind of disappeared. And, and as I mentioned earlier, just trying to get the collections out is taking time. They could do this with uh, the Starman character that James Robinson did. And James Robinson works for DC. So they could probably just look over and say, hey, James, we'd like to bring Jack Knight in and do some shit with Starman. Uh, how do you feel about that? Well, I feel like it's fucking stupid because uh, he doesn't make sense in the context of current continuity or, you know, in the times because he was obviously a very 90s character. And I wrote him a really good beginning, middle and end. But uh, do what you're going to do, I guess. But if if Instead, they just say, hey, let's put Starman in this. Well, should we turn around and talk to James? He's right fucking there. No, fuck him. Then that would be, <laughs> that seems that would be par for the course for what DC is doing right now, is that there is a lack of respect for the people who made these characters. And and it's kind of up to them. It's up to them if they want to pay those respects or not. 
it seems like I would not want to work for a company who disrespected creators. If I'm doing creative work for them, I don't think that my longevity is going to be there with that. The guy who did, who created iZombie is not working DC, left DC, stopped, stopped working for them, not because of iZombie, but because of the before Watchmen stuff. Yeah. Because he said, hey, this is how you treat Alan Moore. Of all people, this is how you treat Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. You know, because yeah. Dave, Dave got screwed on that whole deal too. He's like, um, I don't really think I want to work for people who do that. So he he booked, he took off, you know, and people thought it was strange. You know, you're just now kind of getting a name for yourself. Your properties are, are just starting to pick up. But he's like, no, this is not for me. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't condone it. And I cannot in good conscience work with people who do. And it's, it's unfortunate because there were people that were in place for a long time. Paul Levitz is one. Uh, Archie Goodwin is another. Karen Berger would probably never stand for this shit but was not in the same position of power and everything. <sighs> Those people don't exist anymore in, in, in DC's walls. And it's just, some of them passed away, but it's just really sad because the legacy of DC is people like Jeff Johns, who usually, we think, seems very respectful towards comic stuff that came before. So that Jeff Johns is part of this and is utilizing this shit in Doomsday Clock right now, with the Watchmen stuff doesn't really put Jeff Johns high on my respect list. The Jim Lee is doing this. The Dan DiDio is doing this. Not really loving them either. Plus, fuck them. All their new fucking books are ripoffs of Marvel anyway. Although Terrific looks really cool. Doug Mankey, I think, is coming at it from the perspective of a writer who is a fan. I think he's doing it because he's got a story that he wanted to tell and he thought it would be really exciting to do this Promethea thing. So I'm not laying the blame on him because I haven't heard his statement yet. But he 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 does seem like the kind of guy who's just like, wouldn't it be cool to get to do this? And yeah. that this is the reaction that's coming up. Maybe he should have called. Well, he probably couldn't have called Alan because Alan's fucking somewhere out there on the astral plane right now. But maybe <laughs> he should have called J.H. Williams or maybe he just didn't know. Maybe he didn't think that this was a problem because they are probably someone said, oh, that's we own that. Do what you want. You know, like maybe whoever was trying to do the, the Kid Endless thing, same thing. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sounds great. And and like the people who are supposed to look out for this sort of thing to keep the creators happy with the company didn't do it. They they didn't step up. They they laxed in their judgment. But knowing what we know now, like, has anybody called JH? Has anybody called Sprouse? I don't know. I'm not privy to that. I, I see a lot of people say, well, it's work for hire, so it doesn't matter. You know, and maybe that's true. Maybe it is just work for hire. And and in that case, sure, you can say it doesn't matter because of that. But that's not what they really came in thinking. Yeah. And again, work for hire doesn't mean disrespect the person. If if you got a fucking job at McDonald's and you go in every day and you make the fries, just because it's your job doesn't mean that people should also disrespect you and it doesn't matter what you think because you're just a fucking fry maker. No. Treat people with fucking respect. And and if you want them to continue working with you, uh, especially you're very good at making the fries. We'd like to keep you around, give you a nickel raise or whatever. Fucking do that. And maybe you don't say to the guy who, who quit two years ago, hey, by the way, we got a new fry guy now and he he's he's picked up on your recipe of adding just the same amount of salt, but a little dash of pepper like you used to do. 
and we just want to be sure that it's okay with you. No, it's probably not going to happen. Uh, you fucking make the fries the way you make the fries. But in this case, this is a J.H. Williams has done a lot of stuff at DC and should be looked at with more respect than what he's been treated at here. So if there's if there's a legal issue with this, though, if there is a contest of do the creators get first pass to say yes or no to a project involving these characters, or if it's like, no, I co-own that character, uh, no matter what you guys say, and we're going to go to fucking court about it, that's even worse. It's yeah, an yeah. even worse situation to an already bad situation. I'm not privy to it. I don't know. I just, I feel like a lot of people who work at DC as creators should be looking at this and saying, what happens when I make something here? What happens when someone takes my storyline that I did, that I created from beginning to end, and yes, star Justice League characters, but what happens when they take it directly from my book and do a script and make it into a movie, and then they give me no credit for it? Not even because it's a legal thing, but because of a respect thing. They don't put my name up on the screen with everybody else uh, because I'm just a work for hire guy. Why would I want to work for this company? That's a big question to me is how do you run your business? How do you treat your people? And this looks bad for DC. You know, I'm hoping it's something that it looks really bad and probably is really bad, but that they fix that. They take the time and they take the care and they go and they do something to try to make it right. Uh, but at this point in time, we've seen no statements. We've just seen bleeding cool bitch about it. And that is kind of what bleeding cool does. Yeah. But when I see the the reactions from JH on his, his Twitter and his Facebook stuff, and I see the same thing from Sprouse going, shit, I didn't know about this stuff with Tom Strong. It's not like they can deny that it's happened. It's just they have to figure out how to how to react afterwards. And I I hope they do the right thing, whatever that is. Yeah. To chime in here, it isn't Angela Miracle Man, Todd McFarlane bad, talking of respect and who owns right. what. But the thing is, it doesn't make sense in the context of a closed universe like Prometheus was. And big spoiler, Prometheus was eight different incarnations in the comics. So which Prometheus? And how does that fit in? So respect aside, just story-wise and otherwise, how does it fit? How does it make any sense to include them into the Justice League of America? I, I heard a uh, a theory about the Promethea thing again over on Bleeding Cool, which was that they at the beginning of the storyline they killed Vixen, and that they may utilize Vixen to come back in a form that is like Promethea, and and kind of be a mix of her likeness and that likeness, not permanently as well, but like kind of bringing that forward. But then in, we've got. Tom Strong appearing in the terrific. So it it's a question like when they involved Daniel from Sandman in the Justice League a few years ago and they they got the okay from Neil to do it. It's like, yeah, but fucking Sandman in the Justice League or death in Superman, I think was before that you hear it and you go, well, how does that work? But then you see it and you go, oh, well, this is actually kind of cool because they involved Neil in the stories and they say, Hey, what do you think about this? One, is it okay with you if we do it? And and two, do you have any input on it? And he looks at it and he's like, oh, that's actually really cool. I like that. Or may I make a suggestion? You know, one, thank you for coming to me. And two, this is something that I would I would think would happen here and, and maybe make it a little bit better. That that's how it should work because it keeps everybody happy and it it could make the story 
even stronger. It's just weird that that's not how they go. Well, the thing I is think... that it started out with the uh, Green Lantern story that uh, Jeff Jones did that also contained parts of Almur's run on it. Is it personal? I don't know what's what's up there that they go so hard after Elmore's creations. Well, the the Green Lantern thing is a little different to me because the Green Lantern was not an Alamore creation. It's him playing in the sandbox of Green Lantern. Sure, but and it's so picking up picking up past storylines and stuff is something the comics always do. I don't I don't think he even had a problem with that. I don't yeah, think he would. But it, that, if that's it was just that case, okay, but it seems to be a pattern now after so many things. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, I mean, Johns is a continuity buff. So him coming up and picking up threads from that, it's like someone coming in. Uh, it's like Grant Morrison doing the stuff with Batman that he did, where he took like the oldest, weirdest Batman stories and brought them into the modern continuity in in ways that like, holy shit, like that's a weird pull. Or Neil doing it when he, they did the the uh, funeral for Batman after the whatever happened to the Cape Crusader, which, huh pull from an Alan Moore storyline to do something with Batman that Alan Moore did with Superman. That I think is more acceptable, but this was, this was Alan Moore's actual creations, you know, and, and Watchmen while being essentially starting out as the characters from the Charlton heroes and then them taking them and remaking them in some ways because they knew the liberties they were going to take weren't going to work for those characters that's a different story. Promethea and Tom Strong and all that stuff, you know, it's it's different than Alan Moore wrote the Judgment Day comics for Rob Liefeld's Extreme Studios, but in in all the the Young Blood comics that came afterwards, Riptide was still dead cuz Alan Moore killed her. It's not ripping off Alan Moore at that point. It's just like, yeah, this is this is a story that we have to reference because it happened in our history. I I get what you're saying. And I certainly think that if you're going to steal from somebody, you're going to steal from the most prolific people who have worked on those comics in the past. But I, I, I think that there's a there's a big difference between one versus the other. I don't really have an opinion on this because I don't know enough about Promethea, about the history here to be enraged or be like, oh, well. No, that's, not- that's exactly it. Is that I'm, I'm not enraged by it. Because I don't, I don't have enough details of it, and and I, it, we're in an internet age of oh something happened, make your opinion known and scream to the rafters. I don't really go for that. There was some stuff said by a, an artist in the last couple of days, and I basically said, "Wow, that sounds like a really weird thing for someone to say." I sure would like if this comic book news site tried to contact that guy and get some clarification on what he actually maybe meant and see if this is 100% as bad as it sounds, or if maybe it's just been blown out of proportion by people like this comic book news site. Uh, And then later on, the guy who wrote to the comic book news site and said, you guys are pieces of shit for blowing up what I said in a completely wrong context. Thanks for trying to ruin my fucking career, you assholes. By the way, you suck. Comic book news sites want to get hits. We're on a show. We like to get hits. I I, I get that this should not... Just not in the face. It does not affect everybody. It, it affects certain people. And all I have to come at with this is empathy for the creators. Yeah. Uh, I empathize with a person who feels slighted, especially for something that is a creation of theirs. They put years of work into that they feel value in. Like people bought this and loved this and not it wasn't the most popular comic in the world. And a lot of people have never heard of the ABC comics line, have never heard of Promethea. 
and and it's fine that you might not know anything about them or might not know anything about the people who made them. That's that's all okay. All I'm looking at is what if this happened to me? What if this happened to Levi? You know, yeah. what if Levi had someone come around and and take some of his creations and just do what they wanted? Actually, that kind of happened, but we treated it as fan service because that person was definitely a fan. And we were just like, oh, that's that's cool. That's cool that you did that. But it could have gone a very different way if it was just a person like, well, I'm just ripping off your shit and putting it on a t-shirt and selling it and making money off of it. That's, again, not what this is. And the DC may genuinely own these characters. It's just still a the human thing to do is is try to keep relationships good. Yeah. If you don't have an interest in keeping relationships good, I'm way less interested in supporting your company. It's But well, I don't know also, if that's what this is it, yet. I mean, it also goes comes down to this thing too that you could say. If they keep the relationships good to where you know, then that creator is more than likely to come back and right. and create more things for this company. So that's sort of where I, I, th- I think we're ultimately where we're getting at with this. Yeah. J.H. Williams is a brilliant artist. Chris Browse, one of my favorite artists. Just I love his style. So two people that I I can't imagine, but I would not want to see this happen to someone who is not of their caliber. I would not want to see this happen to someone who's not at that level because it's still no matter what, it's it's an unfair. It feels like an unfair treatment. I can't say it is. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. the details are not all available to me. And I'm just a guy giving his opinion on the internet, same as anybody else. Mm-hmm. Well, for those that read the comic, I'll put it in that context. Sophie Banks steal where Jack Faust had more consent than this thing. Because if you have to steal that much, how creative are you or bankrupt are you? Yeah, I mean... 60, 75, 80 years of Superman comics... You know, are you making great art or are you just making more Superman comics? That that's that's one thing. But you're right. The the hardest part about things like before Watchmen and Doomsday Clock is that they have to hold themselves up against the original Watchmen books by Moore and Gibbons and, and all the team that worked on that. And so far, nothing holds a candle to it. The movie doesn't. I'm sure whatever this HBO series is, is not going to. And even if it's great, it's never going to be that great because that thing was the original. Correct, correct. That thing did something incredible. Damon Lindelof is making it. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm trying not to piss on everybody here, uh, <sighs> but but I I know what you mean. It it's just that that's that's the argument of what value do corporate comics have, and and is there only value to original ideas uh, in a world of of movies that are remade every 13 years uh or or reboots or sequels or anything else is like how much is it better to get that person who's making something new how much better is get out versus thor ragnarok uh they're both great movies in their own right uh is is one of higher value because it's not a sequel i don't know that that's not for me to say i, I think enjoyment is enjoyment but I, I certainly look at the art and storytelling involved in Watchmen, while still not one of my favorites, the skill and the the thought that was put into it, <sighs> Doomsday Clock, I just don't know is ever going to be looked at in that respect. It's 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 taking something from something fantastic 
and putting it into something that's like, okay, yeah, but we we want to tell this story. We want to sell a lot of books with Superman in them. And it's it's unfair to me to judge because I'm not reading it. But it's, I'm looking at it and it's not it's not as intriguing even as a thing that I had already kind of into. <laughs> I feel it's like stripped off of its context, like Watchmen was a comment on the superhero genre. It yeah. What they didn't let him do with other characters. And then they use it, then implement it into that whole thing that he was kind of criticizing or yeah that, and that's that's just it now if it's if it's the final nail in the head of uh, one of the things i've had a problem with with comics over the last 30 years has been that it's been so reverential to the dark knight returns and to watchmen and it's just been like oh we need to make all the modern comics based off of those things because they were the apex of of great comics and it's like yeah they achieved incredibly complex rich storytelling that sold millions and millions and and are are sort of the nadir of what everything look looks up to in the comic industry and i get that but that's not all comics should be it's certainly not what comics were, were before and it's not what all comics should be after if this is jeff john saying hey we've been reverential to watchmen for so long and we've made our regular heroes, we've made Batman too much like Rorschach. We've made Superman too much like Osman. I don't really know that that's the case. But we've, we've tried so hard to make our characters fit into this storyline. Now what we want to do, which is something I think Joe Kelly did with the Justice League, uh, or with Superman essentially, with a bunch of characters that were kind of like image characters, or what Mark Wade did with Kingdom Come, is we want to show what the Watchmen can't achieve standing up next to Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman and Green Lantern. We want to show that these characters actually have a value that's beyond what the Watchmen was. If that's the story that he's trying to tell to get past this, like now we close the door on these things and we go forward and we enjoy Superman as being Superman again, which is kind of what Rebirth has been doing anyways. I could get that. I could appreciate that. I could look at that and say, yeah, that's that's cool. I don't know that they needed to do it with the Watchmen characters, but it would make the greatest impact. Absolutely. But in the end, it's it's like if you haven't read Alan Moore's Judgment Day book, which was at, I think it was Extreme at that point in time. I think it had gone, Rob Liefeld's Extreme Studios had left Image Comics, maybe it became Awesome Comics at that point, but it, it involved Youngblood and Supreme and The New Man and all these other things. Elmore took Rob Liefeld's characters that were let let's let's be honest not well defined and he did a storyline that told all of these very complex and interesting things and introduced a lot of new characters and gave new takes on some of the characters and books that existed that actually gave them a definition gave them a depth that they hadn't had at that point in time to see what he could do with those in a similar way to what he'd done with Watchmen, what he then went on and did with his run on uh, Supreme from from Rob Liefeld Studios, that kind of shows what he was really good at, why he was considered a mastered storyteller. It's like, I made these image guys look cool. cool. I, I made, it's it's like going over and and doing uh, Little Lada and Little Archie and, and Dot and all these characters from Harvey and like doing something extreme with them, which I guess is kind of what Mark Andreco did, not Mark Andreco, uh, Robert Aguirre uh, doing the life with Archie or afterlife with Archie and stuff. 
yeah. all of those things. It's it's like taking Archie and putting it into a different context. That's kind of what Riverdale is. I don't necessarily love the context that they're doing it with, but I get what the idea was. And Alan Moore then did that with ABC. ABC was his final nail on it because it wasn't just I'm doing a Superman take or I'm doing a Wonder Woman take. It was a lot of, you know, Gray Shirt was kind of a pulp hero, but he brought something different to each one. And it just showed that he could excel at telling stories from any different kind of genre in comic book forms, especially if they had the right creator working with them. And it, it's masterful. You know, again, not for everybody, not always for me, but it was amazing work. And that's what I don't know that John's has. John tells John's tells really good superhero stories, really good DC superhero stories. His adventure stuff was kind of crap, but really good DC superhero stories in a way that is very entertaining, appeals to a wide audience, can be exciting, kind of falls apart in the end sometimes. Uh, but it's good. It's solid. You know, it's he's he's a good guy to be in charge of DC for, you know, bringing back to that classic feel. But he's not Alan Moore. And I don't think he would ever say that he's Alan Moore or a level of Alan Moore. He's probably made more money because uh, his shit's still, you know, printing checks. But whatever. Good for him. No, yeah. So that is going to do it for us. You can contact us by leaving us an email at mail at Um, You can also, if you want, if you feel so inclined as to share with us your voice, you can leave us a voicemail at 805-328-3966. And all of our subscriptions, uh, links, and things can be found over at gncasts.com slash subscribe. And you can find the Galactic Network over by doing a search for Galactic Netcasts. Like, so we're facebook.com slash Galactic Netcasts. We're at Galactic Netcasts on Twitter. You know, we're all over the place. So you can find us there. And then the show is at Else Nerds. Our producers, one of which you just heard, he is on Twitter at Beatmaster80. Evan is at Mr. Underscore Fusion. Sean is at S. Burns PA. Um, you can find me at that Gregor. And Corey, I keep doing this. I keep asking, and I know it's I should not be asking, but where can people find the comics that Levi does? Oh, Jesus, man. I am so far behind on posting stuff. It's just like it, I never made it past Christmas, but it, you, you can see the archives, all the archives for Levi's comics. Levi's World spells shock, strobe, a lot of ass names at donascomics.com, Balyar, which I actually even helped co-write for a while. Uh, some fun stuff. I did something with gummy bears on there. It was cute. And, uh, and I was proud of it. So go check that stuff out. I would appreciate it. All right. And the final thing to be said is this has been a Don't Tell Glenn production. We will see you next week. Or Alan Moore wrote this closing statement.
this Galactic Network podcast, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com. <laughs>